0: How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the easy peasy podcast, where we discuss living better through permaculture, mindfulness, decentralization, freedom, flow, agorism, anarchy, and more. We'll discuss how to solve life's complex problems with simple solutions. welcome to episode 86 of the easy peasy podcast we've got a an old friend of the of the pod if there is such a thing um but tom is back on the show for what is this the third or this the
1: third installation the third installment is it were. all
0: right well uh welcome back man how you been
1: hey man no thank you you know for, for having me um I might just start by uh, underlining that gratitude with the fact that you've uh, coming along the line of the Easy Peasy Podcast, many esteemed, engaged uh, guests uh, who may not be formally credentialed, though sometimes they are, but they have ample street credential, Uh as it were, uh, which I lack, right? You know, I'll try and remedy that circumstance. But, uh, you know, just the fact that you're, you know, willing to just let friendship and human relationship be the basis of a conversation. That's, that's a feather in your cap right there. So
0: right on. Thank uh, you. Thank you.
1: But, uh, I was thinking, you know, we had talked a little bit beforehand as to what we might discuss and then mooted the, um, relationship between the left and the right, because I'm a man, as it were, I'm a man of the left, as they say. Um, But when I say I'm a man of the left, I mean what I call the real left, right? The old school left coming out of, you know, like the point, there's really sort of two points of origin that I could trace. Whenever I start talking, I think one, then I think, oh, but then there's that, and then there's that, and then there's that. I'm going to say this, I could actually look at maybe three, but just in terms of the Western political tradition, when I say left, the most immediate cue and where our contemporary sense of the relationship between the right and the left roughly originates, French Revolution, late 18th century, where in the assembly um, leading up to the French Revolution, those who supported the monarchy, l'ancien régime, the old regime as it was called, they would sit on the the right hand, Hmm. and then those who were opposed to the monarchy, who were disposed to reform, and then eventually revolution, would sit on the left, and hence the right is associated with a kind of strain of traditionalism, Hmm. and the left with what is said to be progressive or moving forward. Of course, that's just a very sort of superficial analysis, but that's actually the historical basis of our present distinction.
0: I was literally, I was thinking of questions to ask you earlier. And that was like, that was one of them. Um, like where does this left, right paradigm even stem from? You took the question right out of my mouth. Um, because I do see it as ever more like arbitrary. Um, I, I, you know, so, so but understanding yeah. where the idea comes from and what maybe what validity the idea does have, uh, is worth noting. I, it's just something that lately seems so limiting, you know, to say left or it, right, I, you know,
1: it, I will absolutely, you know, I mean, any distinction is both potentially useful and uh, potentially limiting, mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. right?
1: Um, I mean, I would almost want to build on that initial gloss to note that the initial conception of left versus right in the late 18th century had um, a kind of naivete in that it felt all you really need to do is transform the political structure in order to affect a genuine societal change. Mm. And so, and again, I mean, slightly, I'm, I'm simplifying things just for the sake of brevity. I'm not saying we that people thought about it in actually such a coarse way. But roughly speaking, you could put it in that fashion. And hence, the reforms, or rather, they weren't merely reforms, but the changes instituted by the French Revolution and also the American Revolution, which are qualitatively distinct, um, nonetheless have a focus on political structures. So in France, the most obvious way in which that shows up is that they unlim- literally abolished the monarchy. Um, and they were quite thorough in that, yeah, <laughs> as yeah, we all yeah, know, yeah. right? Maybe Louis 16th isn't, uh, you know, laughing about that. I, I, I hope he doesn't lose his head again over my, okay, well, okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, but, uh, but, um, sorry,
2: that was
0: it was, uh, uh, yeah.
1: but it was, it was <laughs> terrible, I grant that. But, um, and then here what we have is not just um, the separation from uh, the uh, British Empire, but also the establishment of state constitutions, eventually the federal constitution, which itself is actually, uh, in some ways, a regressive document. What do I mean when I say it's a regressive and not a progressive document? What I mean by that very simply is that uh, the Articles of Confederation, which were antecedent to the the, the federal constitution, created serious problems for the well-moneyed in this country Mm -hmm. because they were conducive to a radical degree of decentralization Mm -hmm. and people... On a local and you know just above local level, taking things and leading their lives the way they wanted to lead them, without much respect to uh, their so-called betters. Um, anyway,
0: well, if I can interject, I, I don't mean to. No, no, no. On if so. I can interject, um, I, I would say because it's it's a thought I was I was on not long ago, like just how much. Um how much like a national divorce would truly mean for putting power back in the people's hands. Um, are you having a hard time hearing me over there? Oh no, I I can
1: hear you fine. I'm just, uh, the thought. Uh, I see. Okay. Well, I won't ask again. You're
0: holding the phones like, uh, yeah, but, um, so this idea that like, even just by, tipping the scales of power back to the States. Like that's such a radical improvement on what we have now, because it seems to me that, um, I mean, it's just, it's something we've, we've all heard. It's been pointed out a hundred times over, but the closer your government is to you, the, the easier it is to have influence. Um, but like this federal system just seems so prone towards, um, I guess you'd call it you know cronyism or uh just just plain
1: well i wouldn't i mean the word crony yeah i mean cronyism yes um where i hesitate is and whenever you get to the moniker of corruption
2: Mm
1: -hmm. what i don't like about alleging corruption is that it fails to appreciate issues which have a structural nature Mm -hmm. so there is something in the structure which creates iniquity. And if you say, oh, it's corruption, then you imply that the problem isn't the structure, but the abuse of the structure. Mm -hmm. And in fact, both things go hand in hand. There is corruption, but then there are additionally aspects of the structure that are fundamentally iniquitous. And what that means is that even if everything is working ideally, you're still going to have iniquity. And in fact, you might even suggest that corruption, in a way, um, and it's weird, right? You could say, in a way, corruption is the system working well. And then you get also caught in this double bind where you almost want corruption as an antidote to the system working too well, hmm. right? And so there's like an anecdote from China, which I've heard to illustrate that point, which actually gives me hope about the ridiculous situation going on over there. I had a friend, and I want to move, and he lives in um, Beijing, and this was a, a few years ago when he first got to Beijing, and when he wanted to go to work every day after he first you know, got there. He's leaving, wanted to go to work, the police would stop him, they would harass him his mandarin wasn't very good yet uh they would just you know hold him off and for like 30 minutes highly inconvenient. you get to work you'd be late say i'm so sorry after a few days he's like what is going on why do they keep stopping me and he's like well maybe you know my employer didn't file the right papers so he went to his superior Said, "Hey, this is the situation. What's going on? Are you sure all my paperwork's in file?" He's like, "Oh, yeah. You, you just need to, you just need to pay him a bribe." He's like, "No, nah, look, I'm an American. I'm just here. I'm not about to you know get caught bribing a police officer." Mm-hmm. He said, like, "No, you don't. You don't understand. It's how, this is how it's it how works. works. Just, yeah, just, yeah." And he was like, you know, really reticent. And he waited. He resisted. He didn't want to pay the bribe. This went on for two weeks. And then one day, he was just like, "Oh, hang it!" And he just Took like uh, the equivalent of about 20 bucks out of the pocket. He just took it, and then it was just like magic. All of a sudden, the police were like, oh, that's hilarious. Okay. And they were all of a sudden his friend. They wanted to stop here with him, blah, 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 blah. And then, like, he went on his way, never got any more trouble again. All right, it's like, oh, obviously, mm-hmm. <laughs> corruption, mm-hmm. transparently ridiculous perfidy on the part of the police department. What is there to be hopeful about in that connection? Well, what there is about which be hopeful is it means that the police are not just automata obeying the imperatives of an autocratic top-down structure in a formulaic fashion.
0: You actually, the you actually beings, have you have some influence with 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 right. the dollar, yeah.
1: So, and I mean, it's not that you want to like laud corruption, but it's it's corruption which sometimes gives us the sand to impede the smooth operation of the gear. Mm. So it's like, it's just a really weird double bind in which you find yourself, right? That's why I get apprehensive about the undue anxiety around corruption, because obviously it's deeply problematic on the one hand, but on the other hand, the fact that you need corruption to make things work is strangely inspiring. Because either that or it's either, it's either that or
0: it's a really good argument for anarchism. Because if you need well, if you need an, that, if you they, need it, it to be dishonest for it to run smoothly, it's not a very um, uh, it's not I, it's not a good thing in my opinion. You know,
1: no, no, but you see the um, old grease yeah, in the I wheels agree.
0: thing. The, you know, you got to grease right, well, the wheels, right?
1: We're on the same page, yeah. right? You know, I'm also an anarchist. All right, and ultimately the abolition of state apparatuses is something we need to move toward, right? Yeah. And, th- th- it's, and you know, they're not just apparatuses. They're not just institutional structure. The state is a state of cultural mind, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, I would just kind of make this like an initial remark and now it's like spinning out, right? I wanted people, to go people, back yeah. to make one more thing about the left-right distinction. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is that whereas in the 18th century, early 19th century, it was thought it was adequate to renovate the political structure, it became quickly apparent that just changing the political structure wasn't sufficient. And so in the 19th century, you get a shift to understanding how the structures of economic inequity, class structure really, are recalcitrant to change merely in political terms that you have to dig deeper if you're going to strive for truer equity and truer freedom and that's actually sort of the insight at the heart of the marxist tradition which i know uh i suspect a good portion of your listener base is hostile towards the marxist tradition because of the manner in which it was ignominiously misused uh, in the 20th century mm-hmm. through the uh, nefarious influence of Stalin, and others as well, including Mao. Stalin is the real villain in the piece. Um, because, and, and, and it's a terrible shame, the abuse that was done to the Marxist tradition as a consequence of those historical uh, atrocities, um, because it, it, it sometimes will interfere with our ability to appreciate what it has to teach, which I would say is a great deal. Uh, the heart of Marx's capital, Marx wasn't a Marxist, right? But at the heart of Marxist capital is, in my view, a really phenomenal nearly irrefutable critique of how commodity logic or as the traditional language would term it, the fetish of the commodity corrodes our capacity to relate with each other because it takes the category of value and appends it to human beings through the commodification of labor and in that commodification of labor more specifically or technically labor time you are no longer an individual with their own dignity relating with other individuals with their own dignity you're part of a machine that is in part mediated by the market but which is ultimately expressive of uh, a class iniquity which is expressed in economic terms because the dominant class generally has control of the means of production now this is where you get tension. How do you challenge the manner in which the means of production are dominated by the dominant or bourgeois class? And this is where you get a, a break at the end of the 19th century because there were the communists and then there were the anarchists. Mm-hmm. The, well, and anarchists are also sort of communists, but in terms of like the historical labor, like. The, the Marx and his immediate followers believed that the, the, the solution was to seize control of the state and use the state to effect leveling reforms. The anarchists, on the other hand, believe no, while that is an appealing tactic, it doesn't actually work because the structures of the state, by definition, create imbalance. And what you might do is just change who's wearing the costume, the oppressor, but you're not going to change the fact of oppression. Mm -hmm. And this was like the great breakdown, right toward the end of the 19th century. And it was a tragic breakdown because both groups shared the common vision of a world without a state, right? The famously, the communists say that the, the, the state will wither away the, um, the anarchists have a little bit more cynicism regarding the inertial power of the state. Mm-hmm. And, um, all right, so, but all of this, that's all, this is all very nice, right, Mike? It's all, this is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Let's Go, you know, sniff some brandy now and uh, la la la. So it's of academic though, because what we're looking at now is not any of this stuff. Yeah. What this is the, the fact that, ideas were contested at this level at the you know turn of the 20th century is is really kind of an embarrassment
0: well it's almost to where I'm almost like having a little like imagery in my mind of like if these are the foundational bricks of philosophy like i don't know right now it just feels like people are picking those bricks up and throwing them at each other and like you know what i'm saying no, like yeah, it, it you know it's,
1: it's but it's almost even worse than that yeah. right because there's no real integrity to the manner in which ideas are employed, right? You're right. They're throwing bricks at each other. A lot of times they aren't even reading the label on the brick before they throw it. Right. It's just another word
0: like that. They think they understand, but maybe they don't.
1: And, and so like, that's why I say I'm a person of the left. I'm a man of the left. Mm -hmm. But what that means is, infinitely removed from what the democratic party is Mm. the democratic party is 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 if if it's anything it's 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 it's, um and the republican party are both just beneath the dignity of such claims Mm. i think you know that they both have plenty of blood on their hands but given what's happened over the past five years I would designate the Democrats as the worst of the two mm-hmm. because at least the conservative branch of the dominant political apparatus, Republican apparatus, retains a capacity to tolerate disagreement. All right. You mm-hmm. can say what you like about the Republicans, but at least they will debate you and then let you go home at night. Yeah,
0: like okay, in, in relatively good faith or whatever. Right.
1: Relative, you know, I mean, yeah. the Democratic Party has descended to a this revolting extent mm. that you know they have abandoned the um, d- the values of the ACLU
0: decorum, like just which common, is common common, right common decorum, here. like
1: right, common decorum, and people would associate the ACLU with what with the left. Mm. They're like, oh, was damn pinko commies in the ACLU, mm-hmm. right? Who would defend the KKK? What happened to that left, okay? The left that understood you have to have a sense of space for ideas that you consider odious, or ideas that are odious, right? The, the, the notion of white supremacy is, is, is odious. It is odious. It's, it's ignorant, historically backwards right um there's a sociological reality to it but if you just you know if 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 you don't give people who want to you know throw their their chips in that pot space to speak it's actually kind of cowardly it's like what are you afraid of right Mm -hmm. if you really think it's so odious then why are you afraid to have a debate with that person okay your your anxiety about dealing with positions that you find repellent is a species of cowardice you have the courage of your own conviction then you can allow this other person to speak mm. yeah the counterpoint of course will be forthcoming that well that's fine as far as you go if you're dealing with a circle of educated human beings but we live in a world saturated by people who growth of gross ignorance right
0: uneducated you know, the you know, uneducated masses right the, the, right
1: and they don't they they don't they can't make up their own mind mm-hmm. they don't know they're easily manipulated and that is a condescension which is inimical to real democracy people have a native intelligence
0: well if i if i may i think like
1: Yes, I'm sorry. I've been just you're on a on. roll, and I
0: love it. I've been listening, and I've got a few kind of thoughts, um, yeah. but I almost see just... that like the roles have flipped, right? And this, I believe, happens. It's almost like a polar polar switch, right? Where, um, so what is progressive in a in in a world of like insane, like whatever you want to call it, um, wokism or what whatever, just the irrational inability to. Um, have any common decorum you know on one side of the spectrum are they now the sort of religious zealots the 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 religiously conservative in some regards like it's either our belief system or you're a heretic type of mentality and then like so what was previously the conservatives are now sort of in a way the progressive ideology in saying like Whoa, 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 whoa! Let's like hold our horses here. I've heard this, this, this metaphor in terms. I think I've heard it in terms of like um, environmentalism, but like, what is progress? Like, is progress walking up to the cliff and taking that last step off, or is progress stopping and turning around and walking the other direction? And um, you know, it's almost like I think we've witnessed this this flip where the folks who previously would have been seen as the religious sort of, um, you know, the, the, if you will, like the irrational, the irrational, if you will. But now like it's, it's totally been turned on its head.
1: There has been an, uh, well, the, the, I would say the way I I would resist saying it's an outright inversion Mm -hmm. because you still have uh, strata in the right that exhibit very problematic, very rigid ideological postures. Mm-hmm. But as it happens, the the hegemonic or the culturally dominant force in, in the world right now is the left. And not being appreciative of that, they have become the establishment, which historically they decried. Mm-hmm they have They have become the establishment, and they have assumed exactly these rabid and oppressive in and, and ironically intolerant tendencies mm-hmm. uh, It's this shrill moralism mm. it's 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 this yearning for purity
0: it's a neo it's and, a i've called it neo puritanism before like I first started kind of thinking about that word um, when it came to the vaccine mandates of like, you must be purified to be accepted amongst the rest of us. It felt like puritanism.
1: Yeah. Well, that's, that's what it was. And of course, we haven't gotten into this yet in this particular conversation, but eventually we have to interrogate the role of science and the role of technology in these developments Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. because they're invoking the mantle of science to justify their draconian and frankly unscientific dispositions
0: Um, almost like if by science you mean it's the false prophet or the you know the appeal to authority right god told me this therefore you must believe what i say yeah
1: And, uh, but in this case, it's not God. It's the
0: peer review journal. Right. Right. Um, (laughs) exactly.
1: Of course, the problem with peer review is that it's a highly politicized process. Mm. Um, it's, it's not innocent. It doesn't, it doesn't actually translate into this legitimate contest of ideas, which is thought to be what should inform an authentically scientific process. Mm -hmm. But I mean, there's an even an additional layer to this question, you know, regarding medical interventions. That additional layer is who we are as human beings in a very bodily, very concrete way what is the relationship we hold between life and death,
2: mm-hmm.
1: between you know, suffering, living and suffering and and, and and pain and and so forth? Right? How are we how do we deal with these facets of of existence? Mm-hmm. And so even if one grants, which I don't, by the way, but if I do grant for the sake of the argument, something like the capacity for some vaccinations to immunize you against certain kinds of disease, some measures to prolong your life, perhaps indefinitely, or yield other kinds of benefits. That doesn't necessarily mean that I want those benefits, that I want those extensions, Mm -hmm. because to, to, to yield before the temptation of such interventions is perhaps... At, at certain junctions to challenge what you are as a human. Mm-hmm. If you hold that death is part of life and that life isn't just a, supposed to be about rainbows and unicorns, then you're not going to be one to take that takes a cotton to just going along with what the CDC or Mark Zuckerberg have to recommend for you. Because behind all their machinations is a vision. Mm-hmm. They have a vision of what it is to be human which is at stark philosophical odds with the vision of many others, including myself. Right? This is why you need a space for dramatic disagreement in democratic society. Because at the end of the day, it's not just about the facts, whatever the facts may be. It's also about how we're going to relate with the facts of life as human beings. And there are different answers to those questions. Answers which ultimately are the not just a privilege, but the responsibility of each of us as individuals to answer on our own terms. Mm-hmm. It's not for the state. It's not for a corporation to determine your relationship with your mortality, your relationship with your health, and how you're going to deal with these deep issues with your own family and your own friends. And see, that's that's really where we're getting down to the root of things, right? Okay. You can, I mean, we can talk about how they have completely betrayed the value of the word fact in their propaganda because virtually everything that you encounter is either an outright deception or a manipulation of the truth, which is almost worse than a deception. Right. But even if we forget about that and say, okay, yeah, you're right about this technology or that technology, what you're not right about is that you can tell me how I wanna live and how I wanna die. You don't have that privilege. Your subjectivity is not my subjectivity, okay? Your body is not my body. And and, and not only can you not tell me what to do, you can't tell anybody else what to do either. So I see, and this, this is sort of where the rubber hits the road in terms of our relationship with the state and what we want mm. a state to do, right?
0: You know, I see the three issues of the day, right, as all being super, super connected, right? So, guns, abortions, and vaccines. I see them all as very, very connected. In in everything, they, they everything you,
1: intimately connected.
0: Yeah, well, everything you just said could equally apply to all three issues, right?
1: Unequivocally, yeah.
0: And it's so almost infuriating to see the lack of consistency and the um, the just willingness to basically outsource your thinking. Okay, um, people who seem resigned or content to. Uh, just not, not look into it or think on it too long themselves. Uh, you know, just kind of like accept it as it's spoon fed. And if I just, I, you know, it doesn't give me a whole lot of hope, uh, just, just the way that it's been going. Cause it, it seems obvious to some of us, like these clear ironies, these hypocrisies, um, but I guess not. To I guess not to most. I it, it just um, it bums me out a little bit to to think that like most people don't put in the legwork of deciding hardly anything for themselves. You know.
1: Well, I think that it's it's difficult for everyone who's trying to look at the world with an you know from a from a vantage, mm-hmm. not to get down at times. Right. Where I, from where I drive, a few points from which I derive encouragement are um, the following. <clears throat> Excuse me. One moment. The one is uh, that...
0: <clears throat> Take your time. We can We can chop this out.
1: There is a... There is a picture of what society is like that we get by looking at social media or Twitter or Facebook. And if you look at that picture, it's it's grim. Mm-hmm. But then when I go out in my day-to-day life, and I think I might have even like, said this to you in one of our previous conversations, I do not encounter, not that much, this stark antagonism, which tells me that most people are not so lost as you might infer from looking at the proverbial news okay now that's not completely good news because a lot of people are just passive yeah i guess the that's, real problem that's what, is that people are just yeah. they feel dramatically disempowered mm-hmm. and and that's that's the issue it's not that they're convinced by the lies it's that they don't feel that they have that they can do much to resist those lies. Wow. Which is,
0: I almost, I, think, I almost want to say this is part of this, like uh, science, um, the, the religion of science that's going on right now is people are convinced. Right. I'm no expert. Like I'm, I'm just me. I don't know any better than anybody else. Well, you know what, you know, as good as anybody else, frankly, right. That's the difference is, um, you know, this, this appeal to authority that we've kind of fallen prey to time and time again, as people, you know, whether it be through religion or through government or through science or media, it's like, we fall prey to this idea that there's these brilliant, brilliant people pulling the strings and making decisions. And it is hogwash. It's, they're no different than you or I, you know, like they're just people too. The government is just people, you know,
1: they're just people. Scientists are just people. Mm-hmm. And any real scientist will tell you that there is no certitude about anything, about virtually anything. Right. You know, I like to ask people have you heard of the floggiston? Do you know what the floggiston is? No. Well, if you look at scientific literature up through the late, middle, late 19th century, the Phlogiston was considered to be, as I understand it, a subatomic particle which facilitated combustion. They didn't understand the process of combustion, so they hypothesized that there was a special particle that you needed to have combustion. Mm -hmm. And if you were educated... You knew well, it's just a matter of the phlogiston density, la 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 Right, you know? There are no phlogistons. Right. It was an idea. It wasn't even a bad idea. There's nothing wrong with the idea. <laughs> it just happened to be wrong. Okay. You can sort of kinda see I'll, the logic
0: of it, you know. It's
1: it's a historical curiosity. Yeah. Okay. You know what it makes me think of? Makes me think of another idea. In a different domain, mm. the idea of a virus. Oh, I'm sorry. There. Yeah, I went there. Yeah, I went, went there. there. Went okay. There. I'm not saying I know one way or the other. Well, But I am saying it's an interesting, that things are not as clear cut as you think that they
0: are. It's interesting to, to ponder because viruses are one of the lesser understood sort of parts of the ecosystem. And some people are trying to make the claim that they almost are – mythical that they don't exist at all. I tend not to prescribe to that um, because I believe they've been observed. Right. But the question of sort of what their, what their function is, what they, what they, what they do and how they do it and why they do it the way they do it. And, you know, in a lot of ways, viruses seem to just be transfers, uh, you know, like ways of, of transmitting information between species. And, um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to even speak on the issue too much except to say exactly like you said, there's a whole lot about it that we probably do not fully understand.
1: Right. There's enormous domain of controversy. Mm -hmm. And one thing that emerges from the fact of that controversy is how unwarranted we are in giving Establishment science as much political power as we do. Mm-hmm. The fact is, they do not know. And it has been historically demonstrated that granting political power to the position of the scientific mainstream mm-hmm. is highly dangerous. Mm-hmm. So. As a consequence of the belief that eugenics was a scientifically grounded practice, you had enforced sterilization in the United States up until the early 1980s for people who had Down syndrome or other similar conditions. Because we give science so much power, really millions of people have suffered Mm -hmm. and died. Mm That's just one example. Others are forthcoming. Yeah. So I'm glad that the Supreme Court has defanged, at least in principle, the CDC and the EPA and so forth, because at the end of the day, however well-intentioned or otherwise the people who inhabit those institutions are, they are relying on a domain of knowledge which is far from settled. And there are liabilities associated with that bad faith that need to be resisted.
0: Yeah, the lack of humility in, in the so-called recommendations turned into pseudo law. You know, it's just so against um, basically the 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 common like process right the process of of implementing such you know laws or rules or regulations like they bypassed all of it using these scientific you know agencies that are almost outside of government above government what have you or that's where they maybe were like you said it's, I mean, I know they're government agencies, but it's kind of like they became dictatorial agencies in their own right. And, um, it's just, it's kind of,
1: they're not elected.
0: Yeah. Non-elected right. bureaucrats making decisions for the masses is a very dangerous game to play. And people are starting what, to see it. I guess people are starting to see it.
1: Yes. And, uh, hopefully that insight grows. Mm-hmm. This does sort of circle back to the problem of the great divorce, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, I think what we need to dismantle is the fiction that we are irretrievably at odds with each other. That's part of the problem is that we presume that we're in a state where we can no longer have an effective conversation. I feel that if we make that concession, it's almost like giving up the game the 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 gamble of democracy is that pluralism is possible but that obviously involves an act of faith which would perhaps be especially difficult for us to exercise at this at this at this point in history you know so so i mean what are what uh what are your thoughts on on that on that score
0: well i guess i'm curious I have I have next to no faith in democracy at this point. It almost sounds like you're advocating for some faith in democracy. Um, I mean, as
1: an anarchist, what other option do you have?
0: All right, agorism and full full circumvention. I guess is
1: not just a, a mode of democracy.
0: Well, it's yeah, via now I guess the distinct- you know yeah.
1: Well, because there's any economic arrangement is going to have a political dimension to it, mm-hmm. which may not sound like an anarchist thing to say. But the thing is that we have to orient our institutions so that they're dramatically horizontal, so they they resist the temptation to hierarchy. Right. That doesn't mean that we abandon those arrangements or abandon some kind of arrangements. Some kind of organization is fundamental to what we are as social beings. Yeah. I'm kind of going back to the sense of the political as a space where people have a conversation. Then you know the associate we associate it roughly with the Greek city state or the polis mm-hmm. as a matter of folk etymology. Hannah, Rand has some interesting thoughts in that way, right? Well do you think um, maybe
0: that is the um like that's as far as democracy can can practically be extended, like the city state. You know, I almost think that perhaps the natural order of things is to have these sovereign city states almost as it was, right, in our in our distant past, where they might try to lay claim to the surrounding hillsides, but in truth be told, the hillsides are sort of anarchism at, you know, at play. And there's always, as long as civilization has existed, there's been this struggle between sort of the, the folks within the city and the hill folk who don't want to bend a knee. And it's a natural sort of push and pull And it's been sort of, I think the the war was won by the city states a long time ago. And these centralized power hubs only grew larger and larger. Um, But the struggle remains the same, that in essence, it's the folks who don't really want to bend at least to the D.C. city state, right? Or the, you know, empire. They don't want to bend to the empire, but they'd maybe you know, voluntarily be, you know, citizens of their, their city state, you know, even, even the state level government, I think is too large. I think is just too large because I don't know whose business is it up in Fort Wayne, what Indianapolis does.
1: I mean, I'm inclined to agree with you. I mean, you know, you're more or less taking the position of, you're taking a position very similar to someone like Murray Bookchin. So, who's a? I have you. I don't know if you're very familiar with Murray Bookchin. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's an American anarchist who was actually foundational to um, the emergence of the ecology movement. Really, his position The name
0: does that, halfway ring a bell. Now that you say that,
1: um, go ahead. Now he actually renounced the label anarchist.
0: Mm. In favor of ecologists in favor of ecologists because i've always seen a lot of over
1: well actually no Hmm. it's an interesting story but i just i
0: see a lot of overlap in sort of ecological science like the observation of ecosystems as infinitely complex and uh interconnected systems you know the observation of of three basic interactions between species being predation uh, parasitism or mutualism I find these as, as very like insightful observations of how anarchist systems work like systems without central decision making you know the the, the the wilds can teach us a lot about how because these systems are always working towards basically two things efficiency and equilibrium and those are those are sort of high high standards high principles
1: i don't know about efficiency though what's that i i would actually resist the idea that nature always works towards efficiency i
0: would i would argue that every individual creature on the planet is more obsessed with efficiency than you could even imagine it's all about efficiency when it comes down to the individual organism. It's how do I convert exactly. how do I convert the calories I have into more calories efficiently.
1: So, so my response would be sort of twofold in that regard. Um, maybe I actually threefold. I have a threefold response, and this is actually sort of I mean part of it would have to turn on how you define efficiency, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. However, I would, first of all, remark that it's not just a question of the individual. It's the individual in situ, which means that the individual is part of a species, which is part of a, part of a broader context, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to look at the total context and the manner in which individuals make decisions in that total context often will uh, obviate the uh, commitment to efficiency. Well, altruism is the most obvious example of inefficiency and yet altruism completely, uh, consistently shows up in nature, not just in human beings. Like it shows up in animals all over the place. I see, I see. Second, that's the, like, then like secondly, the fact is that over time, Nature becomes more complex, not less complex. If it were just committing to simple efficiency, such as what we have with monoculture, you actually have a degradation of complexity. And then the sort of um, third and, and, and uh, final point I would make, and that's related to the, the immediately previous point it circles around the, the fact of entropy and the second law of thermodynamics, which indicates that things tend toward disorder, which ironically, a uh, perfectly disordered state is actually a perfectly homogeneous state. Life defies the second law of thermodynamics definitionally because it does, so that that's why I, and part of the reason I got like a bit of a bug in my bonnet about your use of the word mm-hmm, efficiency mm-hmm. is because it's a kind of word that invites us into machine thinking. I
0: hear you. I do understand where and you're And that's
1: going
2: where going. I'm like, yeah. ah, ah, hold
1: on.
0: So here. I think a, maybe a better word then and could just be easily swapped in would be order. Okay. So like what I think Well, of- yes. But
1: you see, there's two different orders, Right. Mm-hmm there's the order, there's the efficient order of the empire. And then there's the order of nature.
0: Sure. Natural order, shall we say, as opposed to the artificial, you know, artificial order of things. And I like that distinction, but my point of sort of efficiency is that it's, maybe it's a dirty word in your mind, but in my mind, I think of how a tree branches to make the most efficient use of, of basically, you know, the volume of space in relation to the arc of the sun. And it's a magical order of things to, to really consider the branching pattern or the spiraling pattern, or, um, you know, you name it, the way things move, you know, the movement pattern of a snake is very efficient. Um, you know, the, the, the running of a horse or, or the, the bounding of a deer, highly efficient modes of transportation, sort of locomotion, um, and so, I mean, efficiency pr- probably isn't a very all encompassing word, but order is sort of the, the natural tendency towards order. And like I said, equilibrium, um, you know, with increasing complexity and increasing interconnectedness amongst things, it's a, it, it is, it's kind of a miracle of nature. Um, but you know, truth be told, like you, you said, a monocrop is efficient only in our twisted sense of the word because it's highly inefficient in terms of the amount of energy going into it versus coming out because we're, we're taking a shortcut with all these, you know, with all these, you know, inputs, whether it be chemical or, or, you know, internal combustion power or, you know, sort of this mechanical advantage that is, you know, beyond the natural order of things. Um, it is ordered, it is efficient in terms of our balance sheets and whatnot, but in terms of a natural system, it's, it's very little output put, you know, per square foot in all honesty, like calories per square foot of a, of a, of a crop versus like, you know, it depends on the ecosystem type. Um, but you know
1: i mean i'm not arguing those facts yeah yeah you see that i'm making more of an aesthetic sure
0: and i like i like playing i like battling with words a little bit so i appreciate the distinction but yeah
1: i i don't mean to be sort of pedantic Mm -hmm. or to split hairs Mm -hmm. right um and i apologize if if i became mildly no it's a it's It's,
0: i think it's a fun tangent you know
1: Um. actually so there's this guy Ivan Illich and I may have mentioned him before but right and he makes this distinction between manipulative and convivial technology Hmm. and you could say that there's manipulative and convivial efficiency okay Hmm. and he sort of when he talks about that distinction he uses the idea of how inefficient the obsession with speed is compared to he makes the argument that once you get much beyond 15 miles per hour as the top speed of your average vehicle, mm. you're creating a fundamentally iniquitous situation mm. because yes, you get get faster transport, but in order to really support that, you have to install these infrastructures and, and fuel arrangements and so on and so forth in a manner, which is ultimately deleterious to what a, what a fulfilling society actually is, right? So I think it's very similar, I think, to your position, right? And um, I don't know. I just there's certain words I hear them, and then I like I got ah. Well, I almost like another word I hated the word behavior. When people talk about behavior, it's like a red flag to me. Mm. When you start talking about a person's behavior, it's like you're implying that the person is just uh, a, a sum of processes and it's an input output system hmm. very pavlovian right uh all we need is some operant conditioning to change their behavior
0: i hear you and that words i hear you there's lights me up there's words that there's yeah. words that imply i see what you're saying sort of a a a factory uh
1: a mechanistic mecha- mechanistic a sense, sort of vernacular
0: offer, right? i get you i get you but but at the same time they're useful just to note it's a there's a beauty in the efficiency of a tree, yo. Know, it's well, there, it's there's,
1: there's the beauty goes all the way up and all the way down, man. Right, the trees are unbelievable.
0: Right, I got really stoned one time when I was out in Utah working in these old orchards, and I just really sat there and looked at the silhouette. It was it was winter, so there were no leaves on the trees, naked trees, silhouetted. You know, there was a bright moon, and the cliffs behind these trees were just like super bright but these trees were black right and i just noted how they looked like root systems right like a tree is very much a mirror right maybe there's not a fractal it yeah, it, it might not be a a precise symmetrical mirror image but in many ways it's there's symmetry there in in both right
1: there are patterns mm-hmm. that show up
0: hmm Like I said, the branching pattern and there's there's these fractal patterns of nature that are incredibly, you know, like I said, beautiful and efficient. Um, And it's almost like we're getting a little uh, elegant, elegant, elegant is great. Elegant is great because an elegant dancer is moving gracefully and without without effort. Right. That's the whole point. Like unless unless fear is stressed, if it is just bounding like at its own speed man it's just the most like graceful efficient you know like it's it's amazing to watch right
1: even even like a sloth uh,
0: yeah sure climbing a tree. sure
1: Like if you actually watch a sloth yeah right but it's it's uh,
0: so. you say sloth i would say sloth but well, <laughs> that's funny
1: Tomato, tomato, tomato. 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 So okay,
0: if we can, even, if we can maybe spiral back. Unless you have any other like thoughts on oh.
1: spiral, right? There you, so nice. on, there you go. I'm curious to get your thoughts on. Curious to get your thoughts
0: on what's happening in the Netherlands, okay? Because all right. because so, the information is kind of limited. I understand, but I've been trying to keep up with what I can, and I wonder what do you know about it. First of all.
1: Virtually nothing. I have to confess. Um, the reason being that I'm only now starting to emerge out of a kind of self imposed cocoon Mm. from early on in the madness is what I call it. Right. Everything that unfolded in the wake of COVID 19. I do not even like using that word. Um, the, 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 the manner in which the discourse became so saturated mm. with toxic propaganda it uh, compelled me to just take a great step back mm. i'm only now starting to reorient myself and so there's these huge hopefully temporary gaps in my awareness of certain current events right well so why don't you just give me a quick briefing and I could tell you like my cursory impression. I guess
0: the nice thing is I really don't know much either. So I'll tell you basically all that, all that I can tell you is there's a massive farmer.
1: Um, okay. This is what you're talking about.
0: Yeah. The protest, the farmer's protest. It's, it's beyond just the Netherlands, but it kind of started in the Netherlands. And, uh, I mean, it looks massive and it's almost, I mean, it's just not getting a lot of, um, a lot of airtime on our media as far as i can tell they're starting to maybe like note it just because it's everybody's talking about it but um it's causing real it's similar to real the issues trucker. sorry
1: is it sort of analogous to this canadian yes
0: yes and they're in they're, they're intent on causing major major disruptions so I mean, to me, it's it's similar to a left-wing, you know, like unionized sort of movement of old.
2: Well, yes. Um,
0: but I almost, I mean, typically speaking, farmers are, I, I guess I can't speak for Europe um, or any given country, but you would think they'd traditionally be on the more traditional side of the aisle. So it's almost, it's just an observation that like, um, again, I think there's almost a changing of the, of the roles where, um, yeah. the people being forced,
1: not as, the
0: people being forced to organize to, you know, maybe unionize to some extent are not who you would expect. I don't.
1: So, yeah, I mean, uh, it, what's interesting is how you had this sort of thing really building up even before the uh, emergence of the disease or what have you. And, uh, and what really comes to mind is the, the, the Yellow Vest or the Yellow Jacket protests in uh, France, or you had all the kerfluffle in England around Brexit and around the potential cessation, uh, excuse me, secession of Scotland from the UK. Right. Um, what you're looking at is working class movement. It's working class movement the working class is the working class. It has been a working class as long as it's been the working class. And it talk, It speaks to the, the degenerate. It's, it's not so much, I would say, an inversion mm. as a degeneration of what were historically left-wing uh, parties, both here and in Europe. And they betrayed their constituency, and in that betrayal gave them over to the right. No, it wasn't. You're not really actually giving them over to the right, right? Uh, but you are saying that they're not going to vote for you anymore, right? And um, so this is where, in a way, you could say that the utility of traditional left-right distinction really breaks down. The stuff we were talking about at the very beginning of the conversation, mm-hmm. and that we need a new kind of set of uh, axes to to plot the contours of these political tensions. Mm. And uh, I would say that there are three coordinates, three coordinate lines or three planes, right? And one of them is the globalist, the globalist axis, Hmm. okay? By the way, everybody wants to be everybody's friend, okay? If you're in Lithuania, you're perfectly happy to be friend with somebody in, you know, beijing right Mm -hmm. the problem isn't with the people it's with the governments okay but there there are there's a there's a stratum of society typically referred to as elite that are working to try and unify and create an actual world government or something which is a world government even if they don't call it that yeah and their project is antithetical to human diversity they are, they, 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 they are, even though they pay all this lip service to tolerance and diversity, the end of the day, theirs is a techno-fascist project which wants to bring us all under the auspices of a bizarre, escapist, pleasure-seeking, somatic, virtual reality. I think they'd go to hell. Okay? And... Um, but the, 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 question of how we're going to relate with global as vectors is one of the axes around which new political formations take. And then you have these farmers in the Netherlands, you have the, the, uh, yellow vest or yellow jacket protests in France. You have the anti, you, you have the Brexit people in England. You have all sorts of peasant movements in India and in South America. Truckers in Canada. What we're looking at is a renaissance of the indigenous as a locus of political fermentation. Mm. And the challenge with the indigenous faces is not to allow their sense of indigenous identity devolve into mere provincialism. Mm. The other axis is technology, our relationship with technology. Those are obviously uh, intimately connected, technology, globalism, and then uh what was it i thought i have three axes those are the two main ones but there was a third and i lost my train
0: of thought i thought you said it was Uh, i was trying to track that so i thought you said uh, i guess
1: you could say i thought you said globalism and then what our relationship with technology technology and um globalism versus localism these are all these are
0: all their own spectrums okay
1: and it's not that it's technologically concerned or anti-technology, technological, mm-hmm. but the digital is trying to create a new way of human being mm-hmm. that I think is fundamentally impoverished. It encourages us to leave our own body trans Sort of the
0: transhumanist.
1: Um, yeah, the transhumanist position, yeah. which is kind of a hyper-modernity. Mm-hmm. It's sort of, if you take the some of the presuppositions of modernity and radicalize them, you end up with transhumanism, Mm -hmm. which is actually anti-humanist. The transhumanist position is that our bodies are inadequate to give us a a fulfilled and happy life. life.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And we need need to leave our bodies and join the machine. Mm -hmm. And you if I just say that, that sounds absolutely insane to you, doesn't it? Right. It sounds insane to it's me. Literally, but they it's act, literally what they're. What, that is their position.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: The metaverse. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the problem is, like, it's easy to mock this first generation of the metaverse. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that they're not going to just give up with that. Mm-hmm. You're going to keep going. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but you asked me about the Netherlands and the agriculture thing. And that's a very interesting. Oh, man, you know, I'd have to get back to you because that's a difficult problem that needs to be engaged. We need to end industrial agriculture. We need to end the control. I mean, to me, it's absolutely terrifying that someone like Bill Gates is buying up swaths of farmland so that he can have some sort of... He is already one of the most dangerous people on the planet. And you're just enhancing the hazard of his person by giving him even more control over how our food is reproduced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We need to just I don't I don't know, disaggregate. What? Disaggregate. We need to stop allowing so much to be concentrated into so few hands. I'm sorry I don't have a more sort of pithy remark, but those are like my first my first thoughts in respect to that is that coherent
0: yeah man well you know it's just such a big it's it's a big one man it's a big one and i think the implications of it 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 all depends on how long these farmers um hold out or if the government gives in but they're i mean they're just blatantly trying to basically force the family farmers out in in favor of big you know well
1: what we need to do is we need to decorporatize agriculture well yeah but that's the bottom line yeah we need to end monsanto and cargill
0: to me the take them apart. the only way this man the only way to do that in my mind is through culture shift you know like almost a religious awakening man like i preach permaculture because it's the closest thing to a functional like spiritual um framework I mean, that i can that I can really use tangibly to, to create a better world. And all it advocates for is, you know, basically build you know, building your own little Eden. It's a pretty basic idea. And, um,
1: or even, I mean, we're pretty much on the same page, mm -hmm. right? What we're dealing with is a thought war.
2: Yeah. Okay.
1: Because permaculture people say, well, that's all sounds very nice, but we have to feed people. And so the, 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 this is the whole bullshit line of the, the Green Revolution, right? That uh, the Earth saw its Green Revolution. It was a revolution, but it wasn't a revolution to our betterment, right? And the idea is that we need these new scientifically informed modes of agriculture in order to have adequate yields to feed the world. Well, that's just not true, okay? And you know a lot more about this than I do, right? So correct me if I'm wrong, but when you intelligently engage in permacultural practice, you actually get better yield over time than if you're relying on chemically informed, typically but not always monocultural crop rotation uh, practices such as you see advocated by Big Agro. Is that or is that not one
0: hundred percent? I mean, it's like you can't even quantify sometimes how much productivity is coming out of some of these systems, these food systems. Like, it's astronomically more, if I can use the word efficient, right? Astronomically right. more I, efficient. I am sorry. No, that. it's. I am just playing with you now, but um, <laughs> it's it's amazing what you can do. Like, instead of a cornfield, you plant a mixed like fruit and nut crop. In rows, and you graze cattle, which is sort of akin to what they used to do. But we now we now know how to basically shape the the earth to where you know we we can we can capture the water as it runs down the hill using swales, using ponds. We can sort of use what we've come to understand and the tools at our disposal: earth-moving machines, laser level technology, like. We can we can shape these contours of the of the farmlands to make them literally make better use of the rainfall, and by planting these, it's called silva pasture. It's one of the more efficient modes of producing sort of high quality, you know, both fruit, nut, and meat all on one piece of land. Uh, you do you know a mix of chestnuts, hickories, oaks. Um, And then, you know, your your fruit and you let the you let the grazers pigs, you know, cows, whatever, chickens, all of them can go on it. But usually you kind of focus on on the bovines, on the grazers, and you just kind of mix this stuff together, manage it sort of intentionally. And you can get 10 times, 50 times probably the food, you know, per
2: per acre
0: maybe maybe a thousand so times not, i can't tell you you know how efficient is an acre of corn really it just isn't is the answer
1: so what is the traditional counterpoint there like i am not asked i'm
0: just well,
1: i'm just interested like where like if you're sitting across from an Monsanto employee what are they going to say when you would you
0: say that well what do they get out of it i mean it's it's a perennial based system they're a seed company partially Uh, It's also a highly efficient system in terms of you don't need a lot of inputs because you have on site manure. And it's just, it's It's just,
1: I'm just saying by way of exposition, it cuts the
0: corporate interests out, is what it does. And it takes intelligence and it takes hands on management. That's what it is.
1: I think that is probably the crucial variable. Right. Right. It requires actual
0: people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But,
1: you actually need a farmer. You
0: need a farmer. By a
1: farmer, not just somebody who like lives in like one house. And, yeah, and they're, like, like of so, like you could see them this like digital, like digital war room, the farmhouse overlooking their drones. Right. <laughs> like, right, right. This is how No, I thought we were talking. Well, about. but the
0: truth is we can use that stuff too in like a permaculture way, you know? I I'm all about drone technology for laying out the site surveys and reading the topography with like a really high degree of accuracy. I you know, it's something I'm very excited about. You could you could do your whole site plan in like a three-dimensional virtual space. Lay out your earthworks, lay out where you're going to place your ponds and your, you know, your swales and your trees and have it all kind of planned in advance and make it way easier. You know, and then you can have like you can have a GPS on your on your freaking bulldozer that's kind of guiding the works as it's it's very cool stuff. But like I'm not against mechanization used in a very um, good way. I'll just say that. Tractors. I yeah, mean, I'm bad. kind
1: of over the barrel when you bring things up like that because it would be fatuous of me to pretend like that isn't a good point. On the one hand, on the other hand, like that very technology hooks you into an infrastructure, and I guess I just become so concerned as to where that leads you. Can you really? Can you really? trust what's implicit in that technology right i to me i find maybe i just need to have more faith in the capacity of human discipline uh because that's what you're talking about It's like human discipline to use technology without capitulating to uh where it can lead you
0: right in permaculture we talk about it's it's referred to as appropriate technologies okay so like what's appropriate is 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 it appropriate at this stage to bring in an earth moving machine and push a bunch of soil into different places and make it make it more functional in the long term uh or is it more efficient to do it by hand over a 20-year period you know with backbreaking effort like what's more appropriate I, you know, I'd say bringing in the machines appropriate in that moment, but then you ideally would never need to bring a machine like that in ever again. Right. And you can just, you can do it all natural from then on out. So it's, it's, you know, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, would I rather pay a survey, you know, surveyor or do it myself, go out and mark the contour lines of a property with flags and using my laser and my stick and do, 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 you know, and or would I rather just have a guy that has a drone and a program go out and zip, 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 you know, do all 10 acres in a half an hour, have it all preloaded on the computer. Like it's totally appropriate. Let what gets us to food quicker, you know, the question of like sort of automation leading to less employment opportunity, you know, when it comes to these, these systems ideally it doesn't take too much hands-on work because you reach an equilibrium you know we're taking lessons from nature so your grazers should do most of the mowing for you right maybe you got to go around with a weed whacker and hit these so to be
1: clear yes
0: yeah, well um, my point being like if well
1: i think your point is if i can could- go, ahead, go ahead i think what you're saying if I hear you correctly, yeah. is if we exercise our native human intelligence, mm-hmm. we can use technology to the betterment of nature itself.
2: Yeah.
1: And I mean, the, 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 the trick is to actually exercise that intelligence, meaning that we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say that all technology is bad, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We don't all need because to be Amish. Is we also, is, so... Where you know, like right now we're talking Visa, the interweb, right. right? You know, don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I guess where I'm going to push back and I won't even go down and I probably have to wrap this up soon. Yeah, sure. I'm sorry to say, but I, I just wonder about our relationship with the land. And maybe this is the, maybe I'm in this sense. I'm the, the victim of a kind of urban romanticism. Okay. You know, um, I just worry about how the machine itself can, like or certain types of machines can distance us from the land. right? Yeah, like yeah. I like I I know that's like really, oh, you know, maybe I'm just being a hopeless romantic.
0: I'll put it this like, way.
1: I'd rather have a traditional surveyor than use a drone. To me, like a drone is absolutely repellent. I see kids playing with their toy drones and I'm like,
0: I think you need to, uh, it's too, it's too idealistic, man. You gotta, you gotta use the best tool for the job. You know, like you gotta use the best tool for the job. My point, I, I I realized it like, what's better. Is it better to adhere to this strict, like moralistic, idealistic code of like, we're going to be Amish basically and just do everything <laughs> with traditional shit or are we going to use this technology to create sustainable food systems like truly sustainable food systems something that can be passed down from generation to generation um, you know stuff akin to what basically if i can say like the indigenous people did they had managed forests that produced you know abundant wildlife that they could then you know use these forests were not as wild as we imagined. They were heavily, heavily managed and sculpted. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so we yeah. need to apply that with all the benefits of all the knowledge we've acquired in the meantime. And so like using these tools is so, so important because if we can do it in an efficient way, we can create systems that are, I hate to say it, but kind of like uh what's the word uh, easily replicated um then we can produce high quality food cheaper which is better for everybody because not everybody wants to or needs to be on these farms you know there's still going to be no. plenty of cool yeah. ways to be involved in this kind of food production system in a hands-on way you know handling the animals and all that cool stuff the best part is you don't want to do the backbreaking bullshit that used to kill people at the age of 45, just cause they overexerted, you know, like we all want to live happy, productive lives. And we want, like I said, to, to create these systems to where they're, they're relatively hands off, but they produce food for us. And it's very doable. It's very doable. You know, we're, we're basically talking about restoring the planes but with a very, you know, high degree of sort of, you know, focus.
1: Well, we're, you know, so, you know, like I'm not antagonistically, disp- I, I'm not as antagonistically disposed as you may infer mm-hmm. from some of my remarks.
0: No, you're just devil's advocate or some, yeah.
1: But, uh, but um, because one of the problem? this might be a good point on which to sort of like go out, yeah. right? And I think this is in your favor, like one of the um I think one of the, the, the the pitfalls of a good deal of contemporary environmentalism and certain streaks of ecology is they suffer from what I call a certain um, sort of philosophical misanthropy. That's actually mild, right? They're like, oh, the world is dying and we're the reason why human beings are so horrible. Mm. We just need to all go away. You know, there are people who literally will advocate for the extinction of the human species as the solution to the earth problem. Right. 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 But what you're talking about is one of the refutations of that
0: position. Oh no. Yeah. We're the solution, man. We're the solution big time.
1: And, and because it's not just a question of efficient food production, it's also that by relating to the land in these other new permacultural ways, and you can even use technology intelligently to assist in this transition, you can restore the damage that has been done to the earth. Mm-hmm. And, and the damage hasn't been done to the earth, by the way, by human beings. It's been done to the earth by systems of industrial production. The- it's a system that's a problem. Not the people. It's the le- and you need people, by the way, to counter the system.
0: It's the Leviathan. It's the monster. It's not it's not any individual. You know, the farmer is just playing the hand that he's been dealt right now. And we can deal him a better hand. So my last question to you, and I hope you can, you know, I hope this isn't too much of a can of worms. I think you can probably answer it relatively I'll, quick. I'll do my best. Um But what would you say to a left-leaning person who thinks that guns should be taken out of the hands of the common man?
1: I Well, I mean, just the way you put it right there is potentially helpful, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But what I usually do in those sorts of conversations is point to the way in which radical left-wing organizations relied on arms to make serious progress. The most obvious example I mentioned to you the other day is the Black Panthers, the Black Panthers, and people like Malcolm X and uh, others, right? Along with people like Martin Luther King Jr. and SNCC and some other, you know, civil rights organizations, they were all part of the civil rights struggle. It wasn't just Martin Luther King Jr. Okay, and. Uh, God love Martin Luther King Jr., truly a phenomenal human being who helped the world into to in in to come to a better place than where it was in 19 you know 59, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But the Black Panthers were also part of that struggle. And the re- and, and 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 the reason that they were able to do some of the things that they were able to do in Los Angeles, for example, is because the police were somewhat uncomfortable harassing a group of Political radicals who had shotguns. Mm-hmm. It's a little less easy to abuse a black man when he's armed, mm-hmm. okay? And I'm not like going to just go ahead and say I, you know, fully endorse everything that the Black Panther organization did, but they were a left wing organization. They were a communist organization mm-hmm. and they did lots of things. They did food pantries, they had educational outreach. They helped their communities in an organic way, and they had guns. And that was part of the program. Well, you can look at the Zapatistas in Mexico. What well, it comes down to is a question of power. Hopefully, the world will get to a place where power can be somewhat dissociated from having a firearm. But and I don't I don't care for firearms. I don't own a firearm. I don't want to own a firearm, but everyone has a right to own a firearm, and it's a political it's a political statement mm-hmm. it's not a question of being able to defend yourself in an alley against a mugger okay that's great that's great you can do that yeah. but that's not why you have arms
0: right? it's bigger than that
1: you have arms yeah. to resist the imposition of the state and the state's monopoly on violence mm-hmm. And if you have any sense of history as a committed political left person you know that you are in opposition to the state. Mm-hmm. The state serves the powerful, not the powerless. That's what I would say to them, more or
0: less. I think that was a really, really good answer. So right on man. Unless you have any more thoughts, you know, I'll just say well
1: it. I mean I just want to thank you for letting me come on. Yeah. And uh, thanks for coming gonna, on. Gonna, thanks. I, I I hope I've offered you something and uh and uh I, I send me a copy because I go put the interview up on my YouTube channel and I'm, you know,
0: I'll try to, I don't know how I can do that. Um, just cause it's such a big file. Um,
1: well, you know what? Well, just don't, it's not essential. Don't worry about it. Um, I was
0: thinking about it though. I, that, that was my problem last time. If I can somehow compress it. Um, I, you know, I, there are other solutions. I'm sure there are. You know, I'll, I'll try to figure and, that out, uh, but, um, you might, but, um, you might prod me a little bit and help me, uh,
1: so, and I'm gonna—I've been bad. I've been a bad content producer. Yeah. Um, but I'm gonna you know, get back on it and try to get some videos together by that guy I mentioned, Ivan Illich. Mm. Uh, you should check him out, man. I think you'd dig it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, thanks for for checking my 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 luddite purity there about uh you know <laughs> my uh, my. A reticence regarding certain kinds of technologies.
0: Well, and you know what, man, like in terms of splitting hairs on words or on concepts, like I'm all about it. That's part of the dialogue. And I see your point from like, you know, I, I always see your point from sort of a, like I said, idealistic or whatever point of view, but when it comes right down to it, we got to use the tools at our disposal, generally speaking, to do the best thing we, we know how. That's the thing. I'm convinced we just know how to do it now. We just have to, we have to get it done in terms of how we manage our, our, our food systems kind of specifically. But um, yeah, that's a whole, that's a whole conversation in its own right. But I always appreciate, you know, you've got a good grasp, it seems on just political history, which um, a lot of people lack. And, you know, this struggle sort of, there's, you know, the struggle of anarchists against, or, you know, just anybody. Anarchists anybody against, are
1: always on the periphery, but they are so essential. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Right. And it's been a long, it's been a long history of this struggle, you know? And uh,
1: it, as long as there's been a state, there's been an anarchist to indicate the problem with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They may now call themselves anarchists, right? But there's an intuition. There's an intuition that the idea of surrendering your agency to an institution is a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. I mean... That's not exactly the most exciting way of putting it, yeah. but that is one way of putting anarchism in a nutshell. It's right. You're, you're giving away your own power. Your
0: sovereignty. Yeah. All right, man. Hey, always a pleasure.
1: Likewise. I will catch you soon. All
0: right. Thank you. Take care. Bye.